1: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now, or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hello, welcome back to the show.
1: My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Crucial disclaimer for this episode. Nothing we talk about. in today's show is medical advice, and it should not be mistaken for such. Could it be mistaken as spiritual advice? Or
2: we maybe we should disclaim that too. That's uh, that's all in the eye of the beholder, I suppose, right?
1: True. Yeah, the stance of this show has always been that your spirituality is your own. So uh, we would never dispense spiritual advice either. But to the point about medical advice, the reason we're saying this at the top of the show is that at some point in every single person's life, no matter who you are, your health becomes your number one priority. Prince's princesses, and paupers alike. And when people are beset by chronic, debilitating, or terminal conditions, we often turn to any possible avenue in search of a cure. In the U.S., the healthcare system also forces many, many residents to seek out alternative medicine simply due to the fact that traditional medical care can be enormously expensive. And for other people... The alternative care route is already seen as somehow more reliable or at the very least less dangerous than established medical practice. One of the oldest, most common forms of early medicine comes from the ancient days of religion and what we today call science and ritual and procedure. Back when all these things were lumped into a single entity, when medicine such as it was, was less a matter of science and more a matter of faith. So today's question, what is faith healing? What is the laying on of hands? Here are the facts.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, the laying on of hands beyond the notion of, you know, I think the image that a lot of us conjure when we hear the term faith healing of somebody in a position uh, of leadership in a church, taking their hands and laying them on someone and healing the sick or the idea of, you know, Jesus laying his hands on uh, Lazarus and curing him of his leprosy or, or what have you, you know, uh, restoring sight to the blind and, and the like. But laying on of hands is, is a lot more than that. I mean, it's it's in, in the tr- Christian, tradition. It is a form of transmitting blessings and sort of um, being a conduit for God's message or God's kind of power, I guess, depending on who you talk to. But it is something that is in the Bible and is a very basic tenet of the Christian faith. It's one that people often overlook. Um, so what is the laying on of hands, um, in the genre of faith healing, uh, that term being an umbrella term for kind of rituals and practices meant to create some sort of divine or supernatural result, uh, in, like I said, healing someone's physical, psychological, or spiritual, uh, malady. Um, some other examples can include things like visiting a shrine, uh, in other faiths, uh, or religious sites, some sort of pilgrimage, um, doing a group, Prayer, channeling this kind of spiritual energy in a group, um, incantations, contact with uh, an artifact, a sacred relic, uh, and so on. Um, And again, this is is beyond the Christian faith. I mean, that's the term they use, but it's been around for thousands and thousands of years, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's been used
0: in organized religion and, I guess, more traditional Um, religions that go like, as you said, far beyond the concept of laying on hands or some kind of spiritual interaction that is manifested through a physical touch. It doesn't necessarily mean healing or it isn't always restricted to healing. There, there are some other things that that action has been used for. For instance, in Judaism, the Semika is an action of ordination that's some, um, it's not necessarily like physical healing, but some type of blessing that can be bestowed upon somebody. Um, it can confer like that blessing from one to another, or even uh, the authority that one person holds to give it to another. Um, it's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. You can find references to this in uh, Numbers 27 15 through 23. And in this story from the Bible, uh, Moses like gives his power essentially to Joshua through this action. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Oh, it's all another verse in numbers 11 16 through 25. Uh, Moses then has a group of 70 elders around him and through this action again I'm I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly, but Simica he he ordains them with his powers.
1: But he does not heal them to your point, right? This yeah. is this is a com- uh conference of authority. And uh, although, you know, the one of the most important myths to bust here is that conflation of faith healing with Christianity, uh, it occurs in Christianity, but that doesn't make it Christianity in any way special, uh, because of our association with Christianity in the West, our most apparent examples of faith healing come from that spiritual system. So various Christian denominations have practiced laying on hands both as an act of faith healing and also, to your point, Matt, as an act of conferring some sort of authority, ordaining someone. In multiple New Testament passages, laying on of hands is depicted as just that, an act of ordainment. And in Pentecostal churches, especially in recent years or in recent eras, this act, accompanied by prayer, is considered a crucial component of faith healing. You'll also see that it's not uncommon in charismatic churches, uh, often associated with a single individual mortal personality who has some sort of distinct, unique connection to the divine. Again, whatever that divinity may be.
2: Yeah, and, and it certainly takes on kind of a theatrical quality, you know, when you are this very charismatic individual that's, you know, bringing someone up onto the stage to perhaps cure them of some malady uh, and, and you know, witnessed by your congregation, and it creates this kind of fervor and kind of works people up into, you know, a frenzy oftentimes. So, so it is sort of used in that way, especially in modern day. But, you know, we, we see it all the time in history and, like, these kind of big tent revival kind of church services that would do just this. And it would be a matter of like, you know, uh, an individual, a single kind of leader, having this very specific ability that was believed in uh, by a congregation. And perhaps there were skeptics on the fringes or on the outside of that group, but uh, the folks that actually follow this individual around would have believed that what they were seeing was the work of God being done or kind of funneled through this one person.
1: Yeah, and... We see this in cultures across the world, across the timeline of human history. Uh, For instance, it's present in some form in the Navajo spiritual system. But, and this might surprise people, it's one of my favorite things about this, it was also a secular power for a very long time, back when uh, the notion of the right to rule was also tied up with the notion of religion. For centuries— French and English monarchs would practice something called the royal touch. The royal touch is what it sounds like. They would deign to touch their subjects, and this would be perceived as a means of treating a disease. They started out with any old condition that caught their eye. Just like a celebrity on Twitter. If you're a peasant and you have a condition and you catch the king or the queen on a good day, then they may lay hands on you. They may royally touch you. And, you know, your chances of being cured, it would assume, would rise. However, from about the 16th century on, these monarchs began to focus on a specific ailment, scrofula, which was also at the time known as the king's evil. Ooh, I love that name. Well, I mean,
2: it's, it's another example of the power of belief. I mean, because a lot of these monarchs, you know, they operate under this principle that their power came from God, you know, and so therefore they were like the hand and the voice and the, you know, mandate of God on earth. And a lot of their subjects believed that too. So scruffula,
0: scruffula, Ooh. what be thee, you might ask. AKA the scruff. Or the king's evil. Well, uh, it's pretty pretty cool to look into it because it's actually a really early version of perhaps marketing. Uh, hey, Edward Bernays wasn't involved this time.
1: You know, I'm so glad that you said that, Matt. And a little piece of me hopes that Bernays was at least aware of this brilliant con. And I'll call it a con. This may be a controversial episode. Oh, hey, yeah, shoot me. Grimshot. But, yeah, so uh, you're right. They focused on this specific thing, this specific condition. It's dressed up name when it goes to fancy parties is tuberculosis cervical lymphadenitis, The king's evil, as we said. The thing about this condition, tuberculosis cervical lymphadenitis, if you want to search it to your heart's content, is that you'll find it rarely leads to death. And it often, even back then, would go into remission seemingly on its own. So, and this is very important later, the royal touch appeared to cure the condition. Unlike paralysis or blindness, conditions that could be easily discerned, just for right. looking at someone. Uh, this was something that, you know, the person who is suffering from the affliction would be the most aware of. And that's why the royal touch looked like it worked or just as importantly it looked like it didn't fail
2: but like is this are these uh, uh symptoms that were so pronounced that it could be super clear they're like haha and your symptoms have now left you entirely or was it so subtle that well it worked eventually You know what I mean? Like, did there need to be a big aha moment? Or was it like, okay, now go home and get some rest and call me in the morning kind of situation? It seems a little more like that. And then they would report back, I'm cured. And then the king's touch was a smashing success or thought of as infallible. Is that kind of the shape of it, Ben? The
1: big physical indication. The most apparent physical symptom is swelling of one or more lymph nodes. Mm. So you would swelling would go up and then it would gradually go down. And some people who had uh, pre-existing or concurrent unrelated conditions would also have things like fever, weight loss, fatigue, night sweats. In other words, uh, a bevy of symptoms that could come from any number of ailments. So worse comes to worse. If the royal touch, if the king's touch has not cured someone of the king's evil, they can always say that they cured that one specific thing, the king's evil. And what's uh, what's really getting you is leprosy or not praying hard enough.
2: Yeah, well, let's not forget, too, this was a time of uh, very uh, poor medical care. So a lot of people were sick a lot of the time, I would imagine, you know? Yeah.
0: Uh, hey, guys, I just thought of something outside of the healing just to take a quick uh, detour here. We're talking about the king's touch or the queen's touch or the physical act of someone in royalty touching another person, Uh, connecting that to ordainment. I was thinking about being knighted or, you know, taking up something like that where you're using a physical thing, a sword uh, in a lot of cases, some kind of weapon to touch another to then send the powers that you already have into that other person. That's right.
1: Yeah. And symbolically show that you are the difference between their life and their death. Not for nothing, is it a sword? Right? That's right. <laughs> so so the weird thing is, this sounds like an historical footnote, right? One of those other kind of obscure things that are fun to hear about. The last known example of the royal touch occurred as recently as 1825 at the coronation of the French king Charles X. And then after that, the superpowers of monarchy sort of fade away. And it's good to know. That they faded away if you're a fan of medicine, but if you're a fan of folklore, it's a little bittersweet to see them go, you know, they went the way of the dodo along with other royal superpowers like the ability to craft magical curative objects or of course the ability to exercise demons because you see science becomes the new kid in town.
2: Well, yeah, but even like things like we've talked about uh, previously, like unicorn horns uh, being ground up or like what they thought were unicorn horns, which are actually like narwhal tusks that, that were traded by the Vikings. Um, that was something that even the royals believed in, you know, pretty, uh, pretty heavily. And they would have like scepters made out of these things and these like magical objects, which is interesting to me, because if, if, if there was this uh, emphasis on the royal touch being so powerful, how come they couldn't use it on themselves? It's a good question.
1: That was probably the the uh, moment in court where a philosopher got kicked out.
0: Oh, don't,
2: we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear any of that. And exactly, but then you know, thankfully, science did sort of supplant a lot of this uh, a lot of this stuff. Uh, so, what what does science have to say about the this whole concept of you know imparting uh, power or healing to others just through physical touch? Well. I mean, the
0: scientific community in the modern day, uh, largely vast majority (laughs) dismisses faith healing as being a thing. Uh, they say that it's pseudoscience. Um, I mean, I mean, that's just kind of the stance, right? That's the way it's going to be. And in the way, the way it has been for quite a long time, but there are many others in the world from true believers to people who are even more skeptical, um, they do they do object to this concept of it being complete pseudoscience there there are people i would say kind of like me i don't want to put myself too deep into this camp early on in this episode who think there might be something to it to that physical physical connection of cells atoms together that could do something right um and people who are who believe this a little more they argue that faith healing should be view, viewed as a spiritual practice in itself, and that is it. It, it is a spiritual practice, right? Um, and the concept of using fake faith healing or believing in faith healing or uh, accepting faith healing has nothing to do with science and scientific claims. It should be treated as a matter of faith, and that's, that's it, period. But, but it's no surprise that this practice is still really popular, and there are things that have grown out of it um, different kinds of faith, different kinds of touching or almost touching. I'm thinking about Reiki where there's almost touching. Um, it's the same kind of physical act without the physical touch.
1: There's or, think all kinds about, interesting. or think about this. I'm a televangelist. Put your hand against the screen. Pray Especially with in the time me of corona. and you will be healed. <laughs> that's for uh, that's it. for folks watching the video there. Oh man, I
2: felt it hard, Ben. Uh, or but but, but but you know the flip side of this is like if if you can heal somebody like this, can you also harm somebody like this? Could you could I manifest like cancer into you, my am I, my am I enemy or at the very least I mean is not this sort of like a reverse curse almost? I don't want to derail us too much, but it does it feels like there ought to be a flip side if you believe in the one, shouldn't you believe in the other, you know? I don't know. The
1: left-hand path yeah, yeah, it's uh it's a, uh, <laughs> it's another episode of one we should do. I think that's a fantastic idea. Actually, I'm going to write that down.
0: Yeah, if one exists, then the other would have to,
1: right? Well, that's what, uh, that's what our, our various philosophical schools tell us, uh, and that makes that future episode even more chilling for reasons that will soon become apparent. Yeah, in many parts of the world, we have to remember, even in 2020. Millions and millions of people have no realistic access to modern medical care, and overwhelming evidence proves that, all things being equal, a patient will tend to be much better off with a doctor than with a priest. The vast majority of spiritual authorities these days, with some notable exceptions, welcome the practice of modern medicine. They do not see it as conflicting with their personal beliefs. Please, say religious authorities, go to a doctor pray and you know go to the doctor so the question then is why does faith healing persist more importantly why are so many people convinced that it works we'll tell you after a word from our sponsor has this ever happened to you please sir heal my grievous wounds
0: well my son i want to but I have so many other people to heal, and I've only got these two hands.
1: It's a problem familiar to any working faith healer. You've got money rolling in, you've got a line of desperate people out the front door of the revival or local megachurch, but how are you to get to everyone's bank account in time?
2: But sir, can't you just pray for more hands? Pray
1: to God for
2: more hands!
1: If only I could, my son.
2: If only I
0: could.
1: Why pray to God when you can thank Many Hand, the newest product from Illumination Global Unlimited, guaranteed to revolutionize the faith healing industry?
0: Are these gloves with a bunch of other plastic hands attached to them? That's right.
1: Don't overthink it. Just slip on these convenient vented gloves and let Many Hand's warm skin helping hands instantly quadruple your output and your income. Wow! It feels like you're touching me with a real hand! Our patented adjustable distance technology means you can lay hands on up to eight victims, uh, patients, at once, as long as they're properly positioned.
0: Amazing. I'm touching you. And you. And you.
1: And me, mister. And me.
0: Do you feel it, my son? Do you feel the power of the divine? Hang on, let me just adjust my glove here.
2: (laughs) I feel it, all right. Uh, I feel something. And that's good enough for me.
0: And that's good enough for God. Wink.
1: Yes, put away those tiresome obstacles to spiritual fame and financial success with Many Hands. Available now at a disreputable house of worship or department store near you. Rated 8 of 8. Simultaneous high fives by faith healers across the globe. Note Many Hands bears no responsibility for lack of actual medicine, dizziness, euphoria, dropsy, cropsy, itchy palms, microplastic inhalation, the nihilistic dread of swindling the ill and the dying, endocrine malfunction, rhythmic diarrhea, earworms, tapeworms, hookworms, laundry expenses and any fees associated with court Cost or legal rulings many hand is a subsidiary of illumination global unlimited wow they're back one of our first sponsors
0: yeah yeah they are yep and boy are they helpful given those products to us that we just need so so badly
1: that was such a great ad break let's take another one here's a word from our sponsors So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control.
0: Terminix
1: it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
0: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today.
1: Attention, true crime enthusiast searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night. Look no further. Introducing Lazarus
2: Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief.
1: here's where it gets crazy the answer about whether or not faith healing works and laying on hands is not as clear-cut as we might like to think science has proven that physical human contact and yes in some ways even the process of laying hands on people may have genuine medical benefits That is a very, very bold claim, but it's maybe not as crazy as it sounds.
0: I actually have first-hand experience with this um, because it appears that the laying on of hands, the physical touch is crucial, absolutely crucial to early childhood development. If you're a parent, you may have experienced this. Uh, I certainly did. You have probably had multiple conversations early on after having your child before having your child, perhaps. Talking about the importance of something called skin-to-skin contact, Um, and you know there is a lot of misinformation out there that you can find on the internet and in so many books about babies. There's so many of those, but it it does seem to be very important, and it appears to be important at least in our case with with my son and my wife, where that immediate skin-to-skin contact was was very much encouraged by everyone around us, and was told we were told to do this prior to having the baby, but also, uh, it was good for, I would say for me to have like my child touch my skin and like the sense and there, it, it's one of those weird things that feels like it goes beyond science, but in, but in reality, it does seem to be things that are very scientific, like, like the, like the very animalistic, almost like the scent, the touch, the tactile
2: feel, the warmth, um, the sounds, It's fascinating stuff. Matt, did you notice a line item on your hospital bill for skin-to-skin contact? Yes, I did. wow. That's Uh, a real thing? Uh, That's a real thing. They they, they charge you for like the act of, it's like it's a service they're providing, but it's basically just taking the baby and and giving it to you. Um, Really quickly though, Matt, it's also important for bonding. You know, like, I mean, we've seen scientific studies with like animals where that's, you know, what was the study with the wire monkey versus like the actual real uh, mom, you know, touch it like with a a newborn baby uh, monkey um, given contact with this like wire monkey. And then the ones that actually were able to be, you know, skin to skin nurtured by the real mother. And there was, you know, the bond was crucial. And that's something that I think was important with humans as well.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, infamous Romanian orphanage studies that show there are lasting developmental effects based on the amount of interaction a very, very young human has with an adult. There's a professor of developmental psychology at St. Francis Xavier University in Nova Scotia. Her name is Anne Bigelow. And she says, uh, she agrees with you, Matt, that the the science is there and it's compelling. Uh, And with your point, Noel, about emotional bonding, It's proven that babies who have this skin-to-skin contact do appear to cry less. They have more restful sleep. And additionally, the practice can benefit the parents. It reduces levels of stress in the parent, the caregiver. It reduces levels of depression. And it does this by releasing oxytocin. There, There is neurochemical science here. And of course, that helps with bonding on an emotional level. You can kind of envision the positive feedback loop. I feel calmer when I hold my child. My child also feels calmer because they're picking up, you know, my vibes for a super scientific term. And this works, again, this works with fathers as well.
2: Really quickly, the thing I was talking about, the experiment that I was referencing was uh, the Harlow monkey experiments, and it wasn't with the real mother ever. It was one monkey uh, surrogate was made of wire and uh, provided nourishment, and the other one was made of soft terry cloth and felt much more like a real uh, mother uh, kind of experience and didn't provide nourishment. And that was the more important bond than the one that felt less motherly, and, and, you know, cuddly, uh, it, it proved that that was a more important connection than even the uh, providing of food. I just want to say that study is messed up. Oh, all of this oh, guy's yeah. studies were. This guy's an awful person. Whoa, <laughs> Harlow. Yeah, big, big, mm. very, very bad reputation in the scientific community.
0: <laughs> I'm imagining it being done to humans and just what that would actually look like. And I'm horrified. And now I kind of want to write something about it.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm sure it happened, but maybe without the uh, veneer of scientific experimentation. Humans are so messed up, and there's so many of us, and we've been around for a pretty long time. So, yeah, one of us did something like that easily. Yeah.
0: Um, (laughs) Well, (laughs) speaking of psychologically being messed up or okay, uh, let's talk about the psychological effects of the stuff we're talking about, skin-to-skin connection.
1: Yeah, we know that we know that there is something that babies can innately sense about a human caregiver, and the, this this is part of why I imagine the Harlow experiment occurs with another primate, right? Because that's something you can get closer and closer to uh, human comparison with. This this is proven, and as you said, Matt, there there are a plethora of books about this. I am using the word correctly. I feel like there are too many. But, uh, but we know that relationship is real. That is a situation where laying on hands or skin-to-skin contact does matter. And if you are a mother, shortly after you give birth, you get a couple of superpowers related directly to this. You'll find that the temperature of the skin in your chest area is a degree or two higher than the temperature of the skin across the rest of your body. This makes a natural kind of like warming, cradling area for the for the, your kiddo. And additionally, your body, as a recent mother, can also thermoregulate the child. If the baby's this crazy, if the baby's temperature rises, yours goes down in response. That's fascinating, yeah, but it's also... Not quite the same thing as laying hands on someone to heal an injury or a condition. To talk about that, we have to talk about being healed versus feeling healed. We have to introduce the placebo effect. Mm-hmm.
2: We sure do. And, and and again, like I always kind of lump these two in together. The placebo effect is a very measurable uh, metric of the power of belief, the idea of actually being healed versus feeling like you're healed. Um, And a lot of that has to do with your belief in the individual that is imparting this either medicine or, touch or something bigger, whether it's some kind of ritual or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, um, some sort of holistic approach. You know, there's a lot of uh, power of belief and placebo effect tied up with some of that kind of stuff, too. And that's lumped into the realm of pseudoscience, like the idea of colloidal silver or certain, you know, um, kind of medicinal herbs or what have you that that maybe people swear by, and they swear that it changes their entire life when they take witch hazel, uh, but then science maybe says, well, the jury's still out on that. But faith healing operates, as the name implies, on faith. Uh, and thus, from a scientific perspective, you can't measure faith. Faith is a very individualistic thing. It is a very personal thing. So that makes it A non-starter scientifically because it's not measurable. Faith is by nature, it's an unexplained, uh, dare we say, kind of magical and ephemeral thing uh, that's incomprehensible in the realms of science, which relies on um, scientific measurements and being able to objectively compare two different things and the effects. So it can't be weighed, can't be measured. You can't, you know, meet it out in doses like you can drugs or pharmaceuticals, uh, et cetera. You know, it's just a a completely different universe uh, than than science or medicine. And there's certainly no shortage of individuals who believe
0: they themselves have been healed or they know someone who has been healed through faith alone, through the laying of hands, through the touch of of God or someone, you know, manifesting God's power through them. And I mean, that's, it's amazing. And it's actually really cool to read a lot of these stories. Um, It's a hopeful thing to go down that pathway, but those personal anecdotes don't add up to real evidence, at least scientific evidence, unfortunately. And it's not going to satisfy those listening right now who are more skeptical.
1: Yeah, and that doesn't mean that anyone is automatically wrong. That means that we have to do our due diligence and investigate it, right? So faith healing, when it appears to work, there are very compelling cases where it appears that something happened. When this appears to work, it may be one of the earliest examples in humanity of what we call the placebo effect. Record scratch. Some of us listening today may think that calling something the placebo effect is the same thing as dismissing it, but this could not be further from the truth. And Paul, edit me here. Here is the f-ing crazy part. Placebos are proven to work in about 30% of patients. You can find more research on this cited in a How Stuff Works article, uh, How the Placebo Effect Works. This means that the simple act of taking something on a doctor's recommendation is more similar to taking the advice of a religious figure than we may want to think in the modern day. You get a sense of well-being. You get what's called subjective verification. And some research indicates that the placebo effect may indeed go beyond the psychological realm, inducing or inciting a physiological response. It's
2: crazy. It, it's super crazy. And, and just, just to double back to what I brought up earlier, the idea of like, what's the opposite of faith healing? And this is for another episode. But I just wanted to point out placebo effect does have an opposite. And it's called the nocebo effect. And that is a detrimental result of an inert substance based on belief so you know what i mean i mean i I really think that those things do go hand in hand with this uh and i'd love to explore that uh in in conjunction with the idea of a curse or imparting some kind of malady or negative effect to, to somebody you know through touch or psych or you know or suggestion right
1: so there are uh there are multiple studies that confirm the efficacy of the placebo effect. Oh, And I do want to mention, just for the Latin nerds, placebo is Latin for I will please. So a means your doctor is just like convinced that you will feel better even if they don't believe you have a real condition if they give you sugar pills. That's the one of the common examples. But a study conducted by researchers at the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute in 2002 gave two different groups of patients experimental antidepressants, and they gave a third group a placebo. And after several weeks of taking these pills, the real ones and the placebo version, each group's brain activity was measured using EEGs. The patients who had been on the placebo and also reported a positive effect, I feel less depressed, in other words, they showed a greater increase of brain activity than the people who had responded well to the actual drug. The activity also recurred in the prefrontal cortex. That's important because it suggests to us that the brain isn't necessarily being fooled by a placebo after all. Instead, it's responding to this placebo in a different way than it would respond to an actual drug.
0: Mm, or maybe that drug was just garbage. That antidepressant was <laughs> just a depressant. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was. It. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but then you can, you can see that um, you know there's some other excellent research a 2004 study at the University of Michigan that shows placebo effect has some relationship with endorphins, your brain's natural pain relievers. And so when you see when you do brain scans, or when they did in this study, and you see someone given a placebo then what you'll see is that their brain activity will change, particularly in their opioid receptors, which receive endorphins. And in, in, there will also be activity in areas relating to processing and responding to pain. It is then scientifically proven that the mere expectation of pain relief caused the brain's pain relief system to activate. And that means it works. And, and that also means that the important part of why it works hinges on our perception. The nature of the placebo doesn't matter. You know what I mean? There is no curative spoon to bastardize the matrix. So long as the patient has some sort of faith in the individual administering the treatment, or more importantly, in the process of receiving the treatment, then a pill is the same as a palm. So we have a scientific case for how this process could, in some instances, work. It could function. But when we talk about faith healing, we also have to address a darker, more controversial, more disturbing aspect of the practice, which we'll do after a word from our sponsors. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
0: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, SnagAjob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Attempt to hire part-time or full-time. You
2: name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer.
1: Yes, yeah, job has got a worker for that.
0: With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way.
1: Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
0: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book
1: online today. Attention, true crime enthusiast searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night. Look no further.
2: Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief.
1: we've returned and as we continue delving down we're reaching the rotten root of the controversy surrounding faith healing make no mistake this involves real life conspiracy not theories no guesses or speculation proven conspiracies that are both dangerous and ongoing perhaps in an area near you Sadly, one of the most common insidious conspiracies surrounding faith healing involves con artists, by which we mean people who know they cannot cure cancer through the power of their physical touch or connection with the divine, but will gladly pretend to cure anything you want so long as the price is right. Yeah, it's very true.
0: You may remember from a previous episode we did on televangelists, there's there's quite a bit of crossover in this episode and, and that episode. And, you know, one person that I don't think we mentioned in that episode, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, is someone known as Marjo.
1: We did not. I went back okay. and checked.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So, Marjo, the name, by the way, is Mary and Joseph, uh, portmanteaued, shoved together there. It's not really portmanteaued, but it's shoved together, at least. Um, Marjo is the name of a boy or at the time, a very young boy, I believe he was four years old when he got his start as a preacher. At least that's when he got his start, when his parents began putting him in front in front of executives in media and other industries saying, hey, let me, introdu- let me introduce you to our son, Marjo. And he would go in and recite passages from the Bible. He began preaching, I think at the age six, Maybe he was even younger than that when he was out giving sermons to enraptured audiences hanging on to his every word. By the way, it's uh, Marjo Gortner. That's uh, the person's name. And there is a documentary that you can check out. The one that I was able to actually find was titled the story of Marjo. I was able to find that on Vimeo. If you're interested in checking it out, it's about an hour and a half hour, 20 something and it goes over the entire life story of this child who grew up doing this um, pretty much forced by his family. I mean, a- anytime you are a child as young as he was at the time, your guardian or your family is going to have a lot of say in what you do and do not do. And in this case, it was his family that pressured him to continue doing things like this. I think he married. I know he started marrying people around the age of five, four or five. Like he was he was officiating sermons, <laughs> um, but it 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 continued and continued in I would say an evolution of a snowball that was rolling down a hill that was pushed by his parents. And by the end or towards the middle, he was laying hands on people, like huge, huge, essentially uh, tents, you know, tent style revivals where there are just hundreds and hundreds of people, and he would go around and touch people, where people would look like they're having a seizure in at least the televised or the recorded versions of it, where people would claim to be healed by him, where he and his parents were making those kinds of claims. And here's the problem. He came forward a little bit later in his life and essentially rejected everything that he had done because he felt very bad. At least according to uh, what I've read, that all of this stuff was a sham, and it was a show that they were putting on, and people were getting, you know, essentially, he said that people were getting hurt, and he felt terrible about it. Um. Anyway, there there's more we could talk about, and might even be a whole episode, but fascinating stuff. It's one example of how this can go wrong, how the concept of faith healing can be used by someone or a group of people to just get money from others.
1: Mm -hmm. And then we have other examples uh, such as stage acts like Peter Popoff, uh, spelled like it sounds, who claimed to get messages from the divine. This is unfortunately a common grift. Uh, He was actually getting information from his wife and co-conspirator who was sending it to them via a, a pretty modest headpiece, and they would collect this information when people wrote about their lives on these index cards as they entered the grift. So there are so, also some things that appear to be cures because the condition itself was uh, incorrectly diagnosed. So the actual medical condition went away on its own over time, but now the healer is able to take credit for the miracle. which which happens a lot with the unscrupulous. Some deadly, serious conditions, furthermore, like multiple sclerosis or cancer, can go into remission for months or years at a time for reasons that we don't fully understand. However, the healer will still be there front and center to claim responsibility for, yet again, something that they didn't do. And should the condition return, the healer is long gone. You know, maybe they'll performatively uh, pray for their victim if it comes up in conversation, right? Uh, on the way to another grift. And I know maybe the language I'm using is strong here, but if you are doing this to people and you know that it does not work, then you are a terrible person. These swindlers rely on what's called subjective validation the idea that because I feel this is true, it is true, right? And, and my certitude is, uh, is, is of a higher priority and value than any objective evidence presented.
2: You know, it, it reminds me of what we are talking about at the beginning of the show, the whole king's evil thing. But if that came back, I mean it's the king. You would never call that into question, right? Uh, but it's the same situation where that particular malady, the um, I can't remember the long form, but the the king's evil was the kind of shorthand, uh, had a tendency to disappear on its own, or at the very least some of the symptoms would go into remission. So this is a, a much more you know specific grift than that uh, even, uh, but kind of relying on the same principle, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and the process has been ironed out so that it can work even if you aren't royalty. Think about it. The people are self-selecting, right, for a hopeful, positive outcome. That means they're pre-selected to validate what they're told is happening. Additionally, unlike a, a, a medical appointment, there's not going to be a follow-up. They're not going to check back in on you after they blow through town that makes it easier to sweep victims under the rug. And of course, as horrific and inhuman as this is, if there is an obvious failure that you can't, you know, sideline or you can't sort of uh, negate or diminish, then you as a faith healer have one super move. You can just imply that the victim didn't have enough faith or they didn't follow the procedure you set forth for them, which is
2: extra. Uh, punishingly awful because these people, they, all they have is their belief. So they're 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 entering into this agreement based on their belief, uh, and then you're taking advantage of that. And then when it doesn't work, you're calling their whole like basis for existing into question. Can you imagine? If, if you believed your cancer was healed by a faith healer because of the power of God and your faith in God and, and this individual, and then it didn't work, and you were told, Well, I guess you don't believe in God enough.
0: Well, there, there's, there is that, and that's
2: awful. That's mind
0: boggling. But there's also an internal logic to um, some spirituality. And uh, a lot of it is based on a belief in destiny or, you know, predetermination or a version of, you know, uh, God, whatever entity has a plan or a map, and we are just following along on this map and this timeline and this story, and our time, when it is our time, is our time, right? So if if this faith healing didn't work and the person still passed away, it was just, god's plan or it was when that person was supposed to go and it doesn't matter if they were going to be healed or if the healing would have worked it's what god intended so i mean there all of that kind of works with each other to set the person up that i i think we're pretty clearly labeling a swindler here to win
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it's a win-win situation i i would also add to that thread of conversation that uh the interesting part of that argument is that it means uh, free will, at the best, takes a very far back seat in the bus of existence, and therefore it would be useless for us to record this episode. But we have to do it because we're not choosing to do so, and the illusion of choice is—you know—it's a big thing in stage magic and all, all kinds of scams. Uh, but you're right; it's it, the game is rigged for again these unethical. Faith healers, who I would say are not faith healers because they don't believe in what they're doing. These people are setting up this win-win. Anything bad that happens is not the healer's fault. If for some reason anything good happens for like due to any variable, then the con artists can take every bit of the credit. And then of course, if they're super good at their job, They'll make sure to pay a little lip service to a divine being that they probably don't believe in, just because that keeps the show going. You know, it's kind of a a kayfabe sort of thing. But this isn't to say that there is not science at play. Patients will feel better. The endorphins are churning. This leads to the physiological stuff we outlined earlier. It can be a genuine, albeit temporary, respite. And, And I think we have to just spend a little bit of time on this. We're being hard on the bad actors here, right? We're being hard on uh, the grifters and the criminals, but we are by no means saying that all faith healers are bad or cynical parasites or credit thieves. In fact, many faith healers are practicing in, well, good faith.
0: It's true. There are undoubtedly people out there right now, uh, maybe you listening, who truly believe that um, what they're doing is helping someone. If they are a faith healer, if they're someone who does lay on hands, no matter what the spirituality and belief of that person and the people that they're administering it to. Um, and they believe that, or they at least truly want to believe that because they want to help somebody. And they have the faith and and belief in that, you know, in their abilities and the abilities of whatever deity to apply that. So. You know, given, given what we know about the placebo effect, what we've discussed on this episode and, and previous ones, depending on the perception of the person that the faith healing is being administered to the, the patient, it seems like this practice, laying on hands, could actually genuinely, provably trigger those positive psychological changes in that person. And again, that's why I bring up something like Reiki, where um, even if it's over a camera, someone like pulling your energy out, right? Uh, Having that time and the belief that it's working, it could do something to your brain. It does.
2: (laughs) Well, it could 30% of the time, right? Or more. (laughs) In, in, In general, though, I mean, like with this whole quarantine situation, I think people are almost downplaying the mental health aspects of, of what this is doing to people, not having human touch. The ones that are so... Paranoid about getting sick because maybe they have autoimmune uh, issues or, or what have you, or they're older, uh, it's, it's really difficult to uh, overstate how important human contact and human touch is for just human beings in general. We're not designed to be isolated in this way. And, and who knows um, if, if uh, just the power of having someone physically touch you in a way that has a meaning imparted behind it, right? That is powerful. In, in and of itself. Uh, and, and, and it's enough to turn some screws in your in your brain that could then turn some screws in your body. And maybe it's not actually curing the thing, but it sure as hell can make you feel better. Um, you know, there's even this idea of self-soothing, where if you're going through anxiety or if you're experiencing physiological responses to anxiety, you can just touch, hold yourself, you know, like literally give yourself a hug. Or, or stroke your arm if there's no one else around, and that's got proven uh, uh, positive uh, qualities as well. Um, no substitute for having somebody else do it, though, right? So uh, it, I don't know. I think a lot of this is really uh, wrapped up in that, how the power of touch, the power of human interaction, I think is at the core of all of this.
1: And we know that regardless of whether or not you consider yourself a skeptic, there is at least evidence, we've at least built a, a case of how This stuff called faith healing could impart psychological and physiological changes. It can alleviate pain. Faith healing has a a clear scientific path to do that. But we have to remember, alleviating a pain is not the same thing as curing an ailment. And many, many people who are with uh, with full sincerity practicing as faith healers, uh, have, are you know, they're not trying to rip people off. They're not trying to harm people. Uh, they may in many cases be saying, hey, let's go through this process together and also let's do that in addition to traditional medical care. You know what I mean? These things aren't always at loggerheads, even though that would make for, uh, you know, a more sensationalistic story. A lot of these faith healers, again, not the con artists, the people who really believe in what they're doing, they will say that they are working with powers human beings do not readily understand, and to a degree, that is absolutely true. From everything we know about this process, right now, however, it seems that the power at hand, the prime mover here, is science, rather than something divine. Agreed.
0: But, we can't prove that it's not something divine. No. We can just prove that over the course of history, a lot of people have abused the um, the concept of having divinity or experiencing divinity or channeling it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I like that point because we see here uh, the character of humanity writ large. We see some malevolence, right? We see uh, lack of ethics, but then we also see inspiration, right? We see t- people trying to help each other, which is one of the most beautiful things this species can do. And we know that, the, we know, as we always say, when we're addressing matters of faith, we're, we're showing that faith does have a scientific impact on individual human life. Like another, another thing would, uh, another, you know, pin to put in this conspiracy board is the fact that strong faith in something can help bolster the human immune system. Your body seems to know when you believe in something. That's maybe a very simplistic way to put it, but it, it holds true. And we want to hear what you think. Have you, or someone you know, experienced firsthand, I'll stop, uh, faith <laughs> healing that that, uh, that appeared to work, right? And do you believe this can be explained through something like the placebo effect or, uh, to your earlier point, Noel, the power We feel the way our bodies and our hormones and our endocrine systems respond to human contact. What do you think about some of the research here? Uh, Do you think that science maybe should not attempt to explain faith healing? Should it exist separately?
2: Well, like should, right? Is this something that, I don't know, man. Like It's one of those things where it's like, aren't some things better left to the realm of the metaphysical? As opposed to trying to, like, explain them with science? I, I don't know. Like, I think some things about religion are wrapped up in the placebo effect to me in general. They can make you feel better even if quote, what you're, quote, unquote, believing in isn't provable. That's what faith is, right? So, I mean, like, do, you, do we want science to explain whether there is or isn't a god? Doesn't that kind of fly in the face of the whole concept of faith?
0: That's the whole point of science. Proving (laughs) if there is or is not some invisible hand guiding everything,
2: then science is kind of a buzzkill. Sometimes, like I don't know, like I'm not a religious person. I'm not, but I I would consider myself a spiritual person, and I don't know that I need science to to put that in a box for me. You know, I don't know. Like uh, I'd be be interested to hear what listeners, what, what what you what you what you folks think.
1: And it also reminds me of uh, Arthur C. Clarke's famous quote, any sufficiently advanced technology, we'll just insert science here, may be indistinguishable from magic. It also reminds me, for anybody who is interested in the intersection between technology and the divine, if you have not read it yet, and you have a spare 10 minutes, sometime after you listen to this, please check out The Nine Billion Names of God. It's a short story. I won't spoil the ending, but it is just chef's kiss. Top-notch reading. Uh, and while you're on the Internet, uh, let let us know with some, about your take on some of these questions we post. You can find us all over the place, uh, except on uh, a couple of uh, live journal. It's just they got too popular. It won't answer our emails.
0: You guys, we got a message about Pinterest. We got... Um... Educated,
1: <laughs> are we being shamed? Are we being Pinterest? No, shamed?
0: no, it was very kind actually about hey, here's exactly what Pinterest is and what
1: you use it for and how I use it. And thanks for writing in on that one because I too remember the days when uh access to Pinterest was a, uh, a pretty exclusive thing, there was sort of a digital velvet rope around it.
0: That's uh, Catherine, by the way. Thanks, Catherine.
1: Yeah, thank you, Catherine. So you can find us at the uh, dive bars and uh, gin joints of the internet, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter as conspiracy stuff. We're on Instagram as conspiracy stuff show.
2: If you wish, you can also find uh, us as an individuals on social media. Um, I am on Instagram at How now Noel Brown. I am at Matt Frederick
0: underscore iHeart. and special shout out to all the ASM artists out there. Thanks for uh, helping us all get to sleep easier and uh, comforting us in these lonely times with your virtual faith, healing, and Reiki sessions that I looked at for this episode.
1: And of course, special thanks to our fellow listeners who write in every so often to say, love your show. It helps us fall asleep. (laughs) that's that's one of my favorites yeah uh you can find me twitter at ben bolin hsw what's the hsw for Longtime listeners you know uh you can also find me on instagram at ben bolin but i hate social media you say shaking your fist at the sky i have no faith that there's a a salve for that Uh, i'm a phone call person well you are in luck
0: our number is 1 833 S T D W Y T K. Y T K. Leave us a message exactly what you want to say, anything you want to say, everything. You can have a musical soundtrack, although we probably can't play that in the background because we wouldn't be able to afford the rights. Unless you're playing the music and it's your own original score and you send us a license agreement, it'll get complicated. Or if it's public domain, that's cool too. You can just hum
2: it, you know, or whatever. Play it on the kazoo.
0: Or just use your voice Whatever you want to do Give us a call If you don't want to do that You can always give us An old fashioned email We are
1: Conspiracy At iHeartRadio.com
0: Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of
1: iHeartRadio.
0: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
1: or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Attention, true crime enthusiast, Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD
2: relief.